The difference between having a great quarter, making your number, or reporting a bad quarter often comes down to the effectiveness of your sales team's discovery calls and demos. But how do you make sure your reps are doing the right things on their calls in order to finish the quarter strong? Well, introducing Gong.io, the number one conversation intelligence platform for B2B sales teams. Gong helps you ensure your reps are doing deep discovery calls and crisp sales demos by recording, transcribing, and analyzing their calls. And Gong allows you to understand how well your playbook is being followed and analyze how well it's working so you can constantly move the needle on your win rates. Now, if you request a demo of Gong as a result of hearing this message, you'll get a free ebook copy of my award-winning book, Zero Time Selling, 10 Essential Steps to Accelerate Every Company's Sales. So go to gong.io forward slash accelerate to request your no-obligation demo and get your copy of my award-winning book, Zero Time Selling. Again, that's gong.io forward slash accelerate, G-O-N-G dot I-O forward slash accelerate. So go there now and come back and enjoy today's episode. It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 557, 557 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. My guest today is David Griffin. David is the CEO of Vortini. It's a sales forecasting system. And we're going to talk about how to avoid creating lousy sales forecasts and the five steps you can take to create achievable and realistic forecasts. Now, before we get to David, let me remind you that today's show is brought to you in part by our friends at Gong.io. Gong analyzes your sales calls and demonstrations so you can understand what's working and what's not. It's a great coaching tool to help managers boost rep productivity. So check it out at Gong.io forward slash accelerate and get a free PDF copy of my award-winning book, Zero Time Selling. If you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 557. You get a timestamp breakdown of this conversation, actually all conversations on Accelerate there, so check it out. And if you haven't done so already, please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast. You can do that iTunes or use the podcast app you're listening to the show on. Uh, also, leave a review for us. If you get a second, just a quick review because we're anxious to hear what we can do to make this a better experience for you. So, all right, let's jump into it. David, David Griffin, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you very much. So I open the show with a standard question for all my guests. In your opinion, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? Well, I think there are many challenges, of course. Uh, I think what we tend to see is the, the level of competition just continues to increase um, quarter in, quarter out. So the ability to close sales predictably, to you know, work very carefully with pipeline to get the best possible outcome, I think is probably where the biggest challenge lies. So, I mean, when you say the level of competition is increasing, is are you talking about the quantity of competitors or the quality of the competition, or both? It's it's quantity, it's quality, and it's also that uh, what we tend to find is that buyers are more informed than they perhaps have been in the past. So you don't really find yourself talking to people, and it's a greenfield opportunity, and you're introducing your stuff for the first time. You tend to be talking to people who have already made a significant investment in understanding the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a it's a more um, it's it's a higher level, more informed sort of conversation that you have. I guess I'll put it like that. Yeah, it's interesting because you know there's a lot of people that that you know you're sort of talking about. Hey, you know the customers always part way through their buying process before we we engaged. You know, a lot of people in sales think that hey, that's 
that's not what happens, right? It's you know, the customer is not really engaged in the process till a salesperson talks to them. You know, are you seeing both cases or just just that one? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I'm thinking back a number of years when I first got into business, we would have conversations with customers and they weren't necessarily aware of the competition because they hadn't done sufficient research. And as long as we could have a conversation around what we were offering and establish that it met their needs, we could perhaps avoid any discussion uh, about the competition and any you know, feature for feature type comparison. Mm. Uh, I just don't, don't find that exists anymore. Well, let's talk about forecasting then, because this is you know, Vortini's specialty. Is, you know, give us a little bit of background on Vortini. What was the impetus to start the company, for instance? The impetus to start the company was doing analytics around sales data. Um, as I suspect you're aware, analytics around sales data is a fairly crowded marketplace. Mm. So we decided to specialize a bit and we looked at the market and tried to find core business processes that, that were not well supported with software solutions. And we very quickly identified forecasting as being something where we could add some value. And what were you seeing in forecasting that said, hey, yeah, this is besides the fact maybe people weren't focusing as much on it, but you know, what were sort of the basic problems with forecasting that you were seeing, that you still see? Okay, so this, this, this could be a long answer, so, so keep me honest. Uh, <laughs> what, we, what we find is that people have invested heavily in their CRM systems, therefore they have a pipeline of opportunities. So if you think about this uh, as, as a maturity model, if you like, people will start off thinking, well, I've got a pool of uh, opportunities, I've got my pipeline, therefore my forecast simply falls straight out of that uh, job done. Then they realize that the pool of opportunities doesn't really tell them the whole story, and it certainly doesn't give them a remotely credible forecast. So what they tend to do then is they think, well, we need to have a discussion around the pipeline, and we need to create some scenarios around the pipeline, we need to reach a consensus, and we need to you know, probe people on some of their assumptions. And the way they do that is almost inevitably the same. They extract the uh, pipeline of opportunities from the CRM, they put it into spreadsheets, they've uh, emailed the spreadsheets to uh, individual opportunity owners around the organization, then the sales ops people have to manually aggregate these spreadsheets and send them up through the organization until, you know, a week later you, you pop out to the top of the organization with a fully formed spreadsheet of um, which contains the forecast. The issue with that, of course, is that the data that was originally extracted from the CRM is now probably a week out of date. So exactly. at the instant you get that forecast, the only thing you can say about it with absolute certainty is it's old. So where we came <laughs> into this was looking at this process and thought, you know, you, you end up with a forecast that is clearly stale. Um, nobody really wants to believe in it. And the entire process has swallowed up large amounts of time from sales reps, from sales management, and from sales ops people uh, coordinating the whole process. So clearly, there, there needs to be a better way. Well, I think that you raise a sort of a central point is that, at least in my experience, over decades of sales experience, is that no one wants to believe the forecast anyway. <laughs> but, but I think we can agree that <laughs> businesses need forecasts to operate. So you've got an interesting conundrum here, haven't right. you? Right. Yeah. Um, so how do you how do you build credibility in a forecast? I think that's that really becomes sort of a central question is, is regardless of the method, whether it's you know Vortini or you're doing it manually through you know endless numbing, mind numbing iterations of a spreadsheet, 
how do you how do you build credibility in a forecast? So I, I'm, I'm going to answer that, but let's perhaps first just mention why the forecast even matters. Um, it, it depends very much on your business, of course, but sure. in many businesses, management uh, will have set an expectation perhaps with the board or with investors, they're going to bring in a certain amount of revenue. They're very keen to know if they can meet that commitment and whether they're going to meet it or not, the more notice they get, they are or are not on track is clearly going to help them in positioning and maneuvering around that commitment. So that's that's sort of one level. Of course, if you're a business that delivers um, hardware, some, something that you manufacture, <laughs> yes. uh, or indeed, if you're a business that sells, even if you sell software and, and you know printing a license, of course, has got no, it, it requires very, very little effort. But nonetheless, licenses are frequently sold with a services requirement because services are needed to yep. deliver the license and to recognize the revenue. Then it's no use getting to the end of a quarter and discovering that either you've got a load of services people with nothing to do, or worse, you've got a uh, you've, you've overcommitted to customers that are now going to be disappointed because that you haven't got the resources to um, deliver on what you have promised them. Right. So, the, the, and of course, manufacturing is is uh, is an even more extreme example of that. Um, people that manufacture inventory that they then can't sell, have to immediately start writing it down, and it, it just gets ugly from there. So, you know, the, the, everybody, I think, agrees that the forecast is important. Your question was building credibility in it. Um, the approach we take is this. We absolutely agree that the, the seed corn of the process, if you like, is the data that comes out of the CRM, the list of all the deals that people are uh, currently working on is clearly the first input to the process. We've got a couple of other things that we care about a lot. One is we look at historical information. So history can be your guide. So let, let's take a, a very simple example. Um, I've got a, an opportunity that has just gone into the negotiate phase, and I think I can close that opportunity in a week's time. You may look back at history or our software may look back at history and it may very quickly discover that I have never closed an opportunity of that value in that period of time. It's not to say I can't do it this time, but the point is that when the sales rep is talking to their manager, it, it gives the basis for a discussion about why it might be different this time. Equally, I may have committed to deliver an opportunity last quarter and here I am again committing to deliver the same opportunity mm -hmm. this quarter. Mm -hmm. It's not to say I can't do it. It simply creates the basis for a conversation to establish whether what is going into the forecast really is deliverable. So they're the first two elements. The, the, the third element is really around collaboration. A forecast, as I think I said at the beginning, doesn't simply fall out of the pipeline. The forecast is really creating a scenario around a pipeline. What do I think I can deliver? Can I pull some deals forward from next quarter? Should I be offering some discounts to accelerate deals? Do we have the resources even to deliver these deals? We're creating a scenario around it and it's fairly complicated. So we see the, the creation of a credible forecast as being the combination of the pipeline, of course, historical information that supports the conversion of that pipeline, and a conversation, a collaboration around the delivery of the pipeline. Well, I mean, the holy grail has been for a long time, just as you said earlier, is, you know, press a button, out pops a forecast, a fully formed forecast. But I think what you're saying, as I understood correctly, is that, yeah, even with, you know, tools like Vortini, analytics, other data inputting, that there still needs to be 
some level of human involvement in creating a credible forecast. Yes, it's it's a discussion around that, and that discussion can only really be effective if um, the people in that discussion are provided with at least the historical evidence of what has been achieved in the past. So let me ask you a question. So how do you get rid of what I think is one of the <laughs> the most short-sighted forecasting tools I ever see is this whole weighted probability forecasting? Um, so <laughs> I mean, I, 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 a, I think <laughs> I, I give the, uh, the analogy or the metaphor, I guess, is that, you know, it's like trying, you know, if you're saying, look, we're a certain way into our sales process gives us a certain probability. First of all, it's unmindful of the fact that it could be four other vendors who are at the same stage, right? We have five, yep. five companies submit a proposal. You don't all have 80% chance of winning. Um, so no, at that, that stage, you're up to 320% of the, <laughs> the revenue, which would right. be bad for everybody. So, so, but this is how companies do it, right? I would, there was a discussion thread. I was following this morning. People, you know, this is the probabilities we uh, you know, assigned to certain stages of the deal. And if you say, well, the stage of a deal is the distance you've traveled, then I said, you know, that's like trying to measure probability with a yardstick, which you just can't do. So why do companies continue to do this? Um, probably because it's simple. I mean, you, you could certainly make it more elaborate. So, for example, what? rather than so, so for a start, the idea that when you get to the negotiate phase, as an example, you're eighty way through center through the process, irrespective of the size of the deal, the nature of the sales rep, um, the nature of the competition. It's 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 just not a very credible assumption. So. We don't tend to pay an awful lot of attention to those percentages, or perhaps you think of it as being a percentage of the way through the process rather than percentage than the probability that you're actually going to win the deal at the end of the day. So we, we can certainly calculate better numbers, but I think it really comes down to having a conversation around the, the probability, the real possibility of bringing this in that deal. And that really requires a conversation that takes into account the competition for sure. But but more than that, you know, for example, if the procurement guy has just gone away on holiday for three weeks, we all know how these things become at risk if they just allow to linger too long in the pipeline. So all these sorts of factors will come out through a collaboration, but they won't come out through simply asserting that it's an 80% probability because I've reached a certain point in the cycle. <laughs> I, I agree 100%. So one, one thing that has always sort of struck me as curious, and I, I'm guilty of this myself, you know, having managed sales teams, it never occurred to me to do this, but uh, I, mean, I think it's I think it was Philip Tetlock in his book, Super Forecasters, says that you know, one of the things we don't do that the research shows that we should do because it works is train people to become better forecasters, you know, is, is provide, you know, it's a skill that can be trained. And if we provide people coaching and feedback, as we do on other skills, that you actually, at least based on research that was citing, you actually see improvement. No, no question at all. I mean, that there are people that are optimistic, there are people that are pessimistic, and there are people who um, have a more scattered outcome, if you like. So, you know, clearly, um, training will, will help people with that process. So, all we try to do is we can certainly measure the accuracy of people historically. So they can look back at a whole series of previous forecasts and they can see, yes, I constantly forecast 10% less than I'm actually able to deliver. So that's that's um, sort of useful feedback. But I think the other thing is in the forecasting process, 
through our product and, and perhaps through other ways people might arrive at some of these results, it becomes very clear what the information is that's being made available to everybody who's participating in mm -hmm. the forecasting process. Mm -hmm. And that helps as well. So there's a, a certain amount of transparency here. I think if you, um, you, know, you perhaps give some people uh, a spreadsheet with a list of opportunities, there, there might just be a moment of um, panic, maybe too strong a word, but they realize they're being asked to commit to a figure. And I think unless you provide a process around that, it allows people to step through their assumptions, then you're likely to get fairly random results. Well, but you raised a good point, though, is that part of the reason I think that forecasting suffers is you know, people are nervous about committing. And so I think what a lot of sales reps don't understand, I think even some sales managers, is that you know under forecasting and then coming through at the last minute is as bad as over forecasting and not hitting the number. Yeah, few people recognize that. I mean, I, I think in terms of sins, then delivering more than you promised is is way lower down the scale than delivering less than you promised. But nonetheless, it's it's an issue. You know, if you think of um, an extreme case where a company has failed to um, manufacture everything that it should have manufactured to fulfill orders because it didn't have a decent forecast, or even where um, it's gone ahead with some projects and now realizes it needs more working capital to do the manufacturing, but it hasn't got the working capital because it committed to doing other things. So, mm -hmm. yeah, w whether you are under or over forecasting, there is a price to be paid. Yeah, no, I, I can think back to my experience with companies that we were forecasting for manufacturing purposes. And yeah, I mean, there were <laughs> several instances with you know, people under forecasting, over delivering a sort of routinely for a couple quarters, which really created a problem because suddenly the product was on allocation and people no, people weren't getting what they wanted and then that's an opportunity for people to cancel and go buy from somebody else. Yes, precisely. That's 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 certainly an issue. I think the other thing is that when we think, we, we always talk about the forecast, but of course the forecast is made up of many smaller forecasts. Right. Right. There are reps forecasting, there are teams forecasting, it goes up to the organization, the entire organization is forecasting. So. We want to make certain that the organization as a whole is delivering on its commitments, but also we want those forecasts to make certain every part of the organization delivers on its commitments as well. All right. Well, I want to talk about uh, an article you'd written about five tips to avoid bad forecasts, which I thought was really interesting because there's a couple points in there I hadn't, hadn't thought about myself before. And, and the first point was to ensure that your opportunities are realistic and achievable, which we sort of talked about. That's 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 always an issue from day one is is either too aggressive or <laughs> under under forecasting. Yeah, so you know, we, we spend a lot of time looking at CRM data and I, certainly when we talk to people, their instant reaction can be, well, heck, I've got the CRM, it's cost me a lot of money, I have the opportunities in there, so the, the forecast simply falls out of the opportunities. But what we tend to see is that people uh, use the opportunities as a list of all the things they're currently working on. But certainly in terms of the information they're recording against those opportunities, it's not mm -hmm. really forecast ready. So one very simple example of that, have you noticed that close dates are always the last day of the month? <laughs> yes. Right. Or, so yeah, or quarter, so, right. So they're not closed dates. No, no, absolutely not, right? So it seems like part of the issue is that, uh, I don't know, I, maybe, you know, Quotas are too aggressive in some cases. Yeah, I think the problem sort of starts with management often, right? Is the targets you talk about, are, you know, are they uh, realistic and achievable at the opportunity level? But oftentimes the targets 
you know, aren't realistic and achievable. And then, you know, metrics are, managers are sort of incented with metrics that are, you know, have to do with pipeline coverage oftentimes, you know, depending on the industry. And it's sort of like, you know, a series of decisions that begets bad behavior. Yeah, no question at all. I mean, if targets this year are set uh, 15% higher than targets last year, then irrespective, it, it sounds like an aspiration rather than a, a real target. I think what we would, would hope is that through a process where the, all the assumptions around the forecast are understood and can be discussed, then it leads to an honest discussion about what can be achieved rather than uh, starting from the target and working back and, and claiming that you can make it even though the evidence would suggest otherwise. Well, let me ask a question. I was one that's going to ask later, but I'll bring it up now. Is, is So when you look forward in terms of sort of the future of forecasting, how technology is evolving you know, in the sales space, do you still see the human element involved? I think there's always a human element. I mean, certainly the ability to use simple statistics over history and then machine learning uh, gives us a better starting point for a forecast. So the way we talk to people about it is we know that nobody wants to spend a lot of time on forecasting. Nobody's ever going to, you know, go into work all excited because today is forecasting day. It's not going to happen. Unless they're, na- unless they're an analyst. <laughs> That's probably true. But what we can do is we can make the, the, the process as simple as we possibly can. So uh, what we do is we use some of these models to suggest a forecast uh, for the sales reps and, and for the teams. And then effectively, we're inviting them to go in and improve on the assumptions that we've made. Because as you suggested, there's all this stuff on in their heads. The procurement guy at the big account I expected to close next week has gone on a holiday for three weeks. So there's all this stuff in people's heads that it may not be reflected uh, anywhere else. The, the models that we use give a really good start, but they, they can't possibly do the whole job. Well, the second point you bring up is managing biases, which is absolutely essential. But I guess the question that, as I was reading that, was like, okay, well, how do you do that, right? I mean, is it is it you know through the feedback, you know, that you give people on previous forecasts? I mean, how do you how do you help people spot the biases, and then how do you help them proactively manage their own biases? Well, you you can certainly, of course, and this this really comes back to the point about why forecasting in spreadsheets is probably not such a good idea. If the forecast only ever exists in a spreadsheet and it's separated from the CRM, then you lose the opportunity to compare uh, that forecast with the results that actually came in on the quarter. If the whole lot is linked tightly together, then it's very easy to show how good people have been right throughout the organization at stating the forecast and then delivering on that forecast. So from a coaching point of view, you can just point back to the evidence. People can see it for themselves. They can see that they have a, a bias on the, the uh, you know, to, to forecast under or over. So that helps people become more realistic about their forecast. Yeah, and I think that's, as you talked about, is that the transparency that's available today, given tools like CRM systems and your tool and so on, is is yeah, you know, has a great, as I say, sunshine's always the great disinfectant, right? I mean, it's it's <laughs> yeah. uh, it really helps people sort of, I think, modify, moderate certain behaviors that uh, you know, yeah, get infected into the the forecast. You know, I was, I was <laughs> talking to a client once, and they're saying, yeah, I just I, you know, we're having a forecast meeting, we're going through the the forecast and I, I push back on certain things and people can really get upset about it and, you know, advice about how to manage it. And I said, well, you know, here's the rule of thumb I use is that 
you were in a pipeline review or forecast review meeting and you're challenging a rep on a specific account, I said, the more defensive they get, the worse the account is, right? The least, the less like it is to <laughs> to to close. You know, so it's you know, you just have to track behavior, as you sort of talked about in the article. Is you know, if people are uh, too defensive, then yeah, that's probably not a good opportunity. Yeah, agreed. And, and the information that we use to uh, form the basis of those conversations is available to everybody in the conversation. So at least people can assume, you know, understand what evidence is being presented and and can work around that. Yeah, one one point you brought, which I really liked, was to get a good forecast, go back and revisit the long-term forecast. Make sure you're staying connected to the overall plan. And that's a, a sin that I see companies too often uh, commit, which is they don't try to keep these two in alignment. The you know What's happening this month, this quarter, with the long-term plan. Yeah, that's right. But but even inside quarters. So, you know, imagine a situation where we're at the start of the quarter and in, in the first week or so we, we create a forecast. Uh, one thing we're quite keen on is we can look back at history and we can look at the way revenue has been delivered throughout the quarter. And in many organizations, it looks a bit like a hockey stick. Mm-hmm. Things start off a bit quiet and then they get very exciting as you get closer to the end of the quarter. So what we can do with the forecast, and so in the current quarter, of course, we've got no idea where the quarter is going to end up, but the forecast hopefully gives us a good insight into that. We can look at how much of the forecast has been delivered. So let me take a simple example. We're on day 70. And on day 70, historically, we've always delivered, let's say, 75% uh, of the, the overall revenue for the quarter, plus or minus a few percent. Therefore, in the current quarter, we should have delivered that much of the forecast. And if we haven't delivered that much of the forecast, that's a fairly good indication that we're probably not going to deliver the forecast. Mm-hmm. This does a very similar calculation with pipeline. We know how much pipeline we need. Uh, if we've got less pipeline at a certain stage in the quarter than we have had historically, then it's a fairly good indication that the quarter's in diff- is going to be in difficulty. So what we're trying to do with the forecasting process is, even when we've completed the, the actual creation of the forecast, the instant we get a hint that that forecast has gone off track, we want to give the heads up to everybody involved on the, base, the simple basis that if they've got more time, uh, or if they get that warning as early as possible, they've got more time to actually do something about it. There's just no point in discovering three days before the end of the quarter that you're not going to hit the quarter. Yeah, well, I mean, you still see this, the statistics come out that's saying that anywhere from 50 to 80% of qualified opportunities in a pipeline don't close you know, within the assigned period. And you know, assuming there's there's some truth to that, right? Even at the low end. I mean, that's that's saying, hey, we've got a, I'll put it in a positive light, we've got a huge opportunity in front of us to to improve our process and how we predict what's going to close. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the, the opportunities that are in the pipeline and are expected to close in this quarter, they must either be won, lost, or deferred. And getting a better understanding up front as to what the outcome is going to be for each of those opportunities is the, uh, the, the secret source of a good forecast. Yeah, and I think Alluding to a point, or for harkening back to one I brought up earlier, it's just that you know, I think the incentives for pipeline coverage that we see managers have, or sometimes even the expectations put on reps, is I think they assume to a certain degree that, that there's not much rigor in the process, right? So that if there were more rigor in the process, that people to understand how to defend a deal better, as I call it, defend a deal, win, lose, or defer, what's really going to happen, that you know, perhaps they would actually 
find themselves working on fewer opportunities, but do a better job on them. Which is important because it, 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 clearly hitting or, or meeting your commitments is very, very important. But equally, you've got to be very careful with the opportunities. You, you need to be converting as many of them as possible and not burning your way through them because they, they, they do represent um, the basis of future wealth for the company. Yeah. Well, so another point you brought up, which I thought was interesting, a data point in there I found really fascinating. You, you talk about you have to improve bad data and data input. And you quoted a research report saying that industry data shows that most sales representatives spend four hours per week manually entering data into CRM, which I can understand. But the thought I thought was really interesting is with only about 40% accuracy. So what is what are they inputting that's so inaccurate? I think the, the, the data might be accurate at an instant, but it's not uh, necessarily updated particularly frequently. There's, there's not a huge incentive to keep that information up to date. You know, the value of the CRM to... The, the salesperson is that it reminds them what they're currently working on um, and it makes certain that they follow up in a timely fashion and all the rest of it. But the actual value they put against an opportunity or the precise close date, um, does it really matter? Well, probably not to the person working the opportunity, but of course it does to the organization who are looking to uh, figure out when that revenue might get delivered. Yeah, what, and I think that sort of gets back to again a point we spoke about earlier in terms of the ramifications of a good forecast. Is I think this is something that maybe is part of onboarding process, part of sales training. That management needs to do a better job overall, impressing upon salespeople the importance of a forecast. I mean, not yeah, specific forecast, but forecasting in general, right? The the, the impact it has on the entire organization, and it starts with the individual individual rep and working with them and coaching them to you know, arrive at a more you know, uh, transparent understanding of what their their pipeline really is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the, explaining that impact is important. I think, you know, ap- apart from that, the other thing is we want to reduce the amount of time that people spend forecasting because people first and foremost perceive that time spent forecasting is time they're not outselling. Yeah, well, I think it, it Speaks to a maybe perhaps different way of, of forecasting too, and you know we talked about the weighted probability nonsense that that a lot of companies do. Is 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 there a better way? I mean, sort of last question of this for today is you know is is there a, a better way? You know, if you're at a rep level for reps to sort of say okay, indicate whether this deal is going to close today. I mean, just you know, as a binary, you know, yes, one it is, zero it's not, or or what have you thought? Yeah, I think. You know, I think the the idea that pipeline stages are associated with percentages that are fixed across the business and across all shapes of deal um, is a, a bit of a curiosity at this stage. I think the the process that is more important to us is that we use a machine learning type approach and we look at history. And of course, you need to have history to do that. Right. But we look at history to be able to make a more a, a very defendable assertion as to what the likely not not only the likely outcome of any particular opportunity, but also the time frame in which we expect it to close. So I think we're just moving away from fixed probabilities, which we know aren't, aren't um, realistic, and, and moving to um, a more statistically based approach is going to give us better outcomes. Yeah, and especially, as you talked about earlier, if we can make that information available to the reps to say... Yeah, you're forecasting your closest in 30 days, but we've looked at the history. We, Fortini, looked at the history, and uh, yeah, not so much. Maybe 60 days. 
Yeah, and, and to be clear, we're, we're obviously not saying that it's impossible. Uh, we, we haven't got that sure. information. We're just saying that it's not behavior that we have observed in the past. And this is a great start uh, for a conversation to, to understand what really is going to happen this time. If you're confident you can bring in this deal um, in three days, whereas, whereas previously it's taken three months, fabulous. Let's talk, th- talk it through. Well, much as a successful sales process has a strong element to it of, of managing and mitigating risk for the buyer, so too does a strong forecasting process have elements of it of managing and mitigating risk for the company. Absolutely true. So, you know, very parallel in many respects. Okay, yeah. David, thank you very much. Great conversation. So tell folks how they can find out more about Vortini and connect with you. Okay, you can connect with us uh, most easily at www.vortini.com. Uh, and I'm David Griffin. I would love to hear from you. Yeah, that Vortini is V-O-R-T-I-N-I.com. And David Griffin. So, David, thanks for spending time with us today. Friends, thank you for spending this time with me today. Come back. Join me again tomorrow for another great episode of Accelerate. Until then, if you get a chance, really appreciate it. On whatever device you're listening to this, whatever application you're using, take a second, pause, subscribe, leave a review for Accelerate. We want to hear what we can do to serve you better. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 